everyone. This is Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. Welcome to This Week in Bitcoin. What a week it was. Today is November the 27th, 20. 20 strong hand long-term thinking bitcoin is the next bitcoin don't fomo on altcoins i'm offended by selling conviction be a unique beast we have three unique beasts here today from all over the world because we couldn't have americans here today because they're just still stuffing their faces i don't know what's going on there. Uh, i'm there though uh tim copeland the uk news uh, editor from uh, decrypt is here mauricio of Ledin is here and the legendary daniel prince is here okay uh, we're going to start off with the one of the big stories from right before Thanksgiving. It broke. Uh, Brian Armstrong, uh, the the CEO of Coinbase, said the Trump administration may rush out burdens, burdensome, burdensome uh, crypto wallet rules, <laughs> and uh, perhaps the market uh, reacted to it. There are a lot of people talking about this uh, potential regulation. And uh, some people uh, support it. Some people think it'll uh, be good to have uh, more KYC in the uh, in the space. Uh, Tim Copeland over in the UK. Uh, w- what is this exactly, and, and what have you heard? Okay, well, I mean, it's all based on a tweet thread by Brian Armstrong. Uh, he basically set out uh, the idea that the US Treasury and Secretary. Um, wants to bring in new crypto regulation. Uh, we've kind of seen it happen in some places around the world, like in the Netherlands. Uh, the, the main idea is that when you want to withdraw from, uh, say, Coinbase, you need to kind of prove that you own the address you're withdrawing to. Um, so it's kind of like advanced verification. At the moment, you just have to prove, you have to go through KYC just to use the service, but this will be is kind of monitoring what you do with the money outside of the service to some degree. Um, and we've seen a little bit of this with Binance before in terms of they, I think they've blocked people from sending money to Bitcoin mixers. Um, so this is definitely like a thing that regulators are looking at. Um, but there was, there was a good tweet thread also by Danny Scott uh, of Coin Corner who was saying about um, how, how some kind of, uh, I think the Netherlands have, when they implemented this, they found that it's quite difficult because a lot of people don't know how to sign their wallets. Um, so both him and Brian Armstrong say that the big issue here is that hackers adoption. And I, I think that's kind of the big worry. Yeah. It, it, it hinders innovation too. I mean, it, it creates a lot of red tape. Do you, do you think a, a nation is low? I mean, the Netherlands, uh, they're they're a big they have a, they're a relatively big economy and everything and they it, this is very burdensome on them. Can this be implemented on, in the United States on, on such a large scale? Do you think? I mean, yes. It, you know, if if the government tells Coinbase that it has to do this, it, it will do it. In in <laughs> yes, that is that, that's that's a valid point there. But there's <laughs> the the unfor- when I, I'm just thinking ahead about uh, there won't be too many new coin bases opening if, if these rules are uh, are out there which uh, would be unfortunate for innovation now uh, Marisa you're not a, an American but you're in Canada and and you <laughs> run a uh, are part of a, a business uh, a, a cryptocurrency business uh, what do you think about this uh, potential news is it uh, do you think it's true well 
I mean, at least in the in the short time that I've been following uh, Brian and the others, uh, other members, other people in this space, Brian doesn't strike me as the kind of guy that will rush out to spread a rumor. Um, he's probably doing this because he feels like it's impending, and he's 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 obviously thinking that he's, he's rather do this now than after it comes out, so that at least he can say as a as sort of one of the leaders in the space, we we try to essentially put our thoughts in paper and and, and let them be known. Um, I think, it, you know, I, I, I kind of, you know, you have to put yourself in the shoes of a regulator as well. Um, they've been essentially trying to balance privacy and financial inclusion with monitoring of money laundering activities and illicit activities. So, you know, if you think back to even when the first set of AML KYC laws was implemented, which was the Bank Secrecy Act that in the United States, it was essentially done in a way where they would allow private financial transactions, but they made large financial institutions this, the, the sort of allies to their monitoring efforts because it is chief uh, as a chief responsibility as a, a financial services uh, financial services service provider that you know your clients and that you report suspicious activity to your regulators. So in a way, what that did was that it, it somewhat enrolled financial services providers as sort of assistance or aids to this oversight process. And that's the way the sort of balance gets struck today where large financial transactions have to be reported and they are sort of the, the a second set of eyes that, that surveils uh, you know, potentially illicit activity, but they still allow some private activity to happen on the cash side of things. Um, by putting out this rule, it, it would I, I echo the feelings that uh, both of the of the tweets that that Tim uh, highlighted, which is I do believe that it will hamper adoption. I do believe that it will make Bitcoin much more difficult to use. Um, I don't I don't think it would necessarily be the end of the road as far as like just because this comes into place doesn't mean we can't fight it and improve it and whatever. And it may not even come into place, but. As I understand it today, I do think it would be a material game changer to how Bitcoin is used today. All right, let me uh, let me give before we get to uh, Daniel Prince and and first of all, everybody, all these dudes are linked to below, so follow follow them on Twitter. Hello, all my elite friends out there. You can ask questions in the chat. Uh, try to get my attention. Uh, but I want to read this tweet by Raul Paul. Um, because this sets some people off and it, it pertains to this uh, matter. If you think that secrecy from governments and KYC is Bitcoin's future and you don't understand what adoption looks like. They will regulate it. You will declare it. You will have to do KYC and that is fine. It doesn't take away its store of value, but just integrates it. Okay, I, I, I agree it doesn't take away its store of value, but the other stuff you're saying I don't really like. Um, uh, Daniel Prince, your your take on the situation <laughs> and if that, uh, if that tweet added anything to it. It's... Um... It's a strange one um, because I don't know. Like um, we all knew it's coming, right? They're, they're going to come for Bitcoin. They're, there's there's no stopping regulators. Regulators are going to regulate, and governments are going to govern. Um, I was talking to uh, the head of a an exchange today, and he's been expecting this for as long as six years. They they've been talking about this, uh, and here it is. It's what what's what's really strange in, in this particular case is. They're trying to rush it through. Uh, and if you look at the uh, FATF report, there's like 82 points on that. It's like 26 pages long. And they're, they're like 
you know, signaling this one, which is number 52 on this report. And they want to squeeze it through in the, the last couple of like weeks that the, the Trump administration are in power. It's just odd. It, and, you know, can they move that quickly? No. You know, to Tim's point, yes, they can. If they want to, they can just say to Coinbase, bam, you know, like, right, you've got to tell us exactly who's using your service, KYC, everything, all the hard wallets. I, I don't know. I, I, I just, I, I can't call it. It's, it seems too quick. And I hope that the cyber hornets, we all know they're out there, that they're, they're nimble and they are a creative bunch. So if they can get ahead of this before it's properly rolled out, probably in the next year or two, uh, I think as a community, we've got to understand it's coming. And what can we do to, to kind of get ahead of it, uh, you know, a little bit better? All right. Uh, do you, do you, I mean, there, there's definitely ways of avoiding. Uh, if you don't store your Bitcoin on third parties and stuff, this isn't going to really affect you or anything uh, per, per se. Uh do, do, this isn't a death blow to Bitcoin. I want to I want to put it out there. And the other thing, if they can implement it this quick, the next administration could get rid of it just as easily, also. So, uh, I on the on the KYC front, there is a related tweet to all this that I want to get your take on real quick on the Mnuchin rumors. For the current Bitcoin bull market, the next uh, 12 to 36 months, it doesn't matter. Why? The next wave of buyers are macro buyers and want regulation. For them, the 21 million cap is a feature and censorship resistance is kind of a bug. They don't want self-custody, just an inflation hedge. That is from Kyle Samani. So, uh, Dan Prince, uh, we'll stick with you on that. Uh, are the uh, big boys that are entering the market, do they even care about this type of thing? No, they don't. <laughs> they don't. And they, in fact, for them, uh, regulation would actually make it more attractive because, and, and let's, let's, also, let's also remember what they're coming for. They're coming for the money, you know. What, they're not here for why we're here. We came for the money. We stayed for the money, right? And we see what Bitcoin is and what it can mean for humanity. Big macro hedge fund investors, they don't care. They're coming for, they're coming with a fiat mindset to exit in fiat for their investors because that's all their investors care about. The investors aren't down the rabbit hole. They don't care. They want return on their fiat. That's what the big macro guys are coming for. And they're never going to use hardware wallets. They'll use third-party custodians. They'll use Knox Capital or, you know, Unchained or River or someone like that, NIDIG. And that's exactly what's going to happen. Or they'll just go straight into GBTC. And for them, the more regulation that comes, the more they can justify to their investors that this is a real asset and this is why we're putting your money into this. So they don't care. It's... It's the hodlers and it's the people that have been here for the last however long that see this as a threat and something that's trampling all over our KYC. And, you know, I'm on the side of the hodlers, obviously. Um, but when you see like tweets from Raul, that's that's his mindset. He's a money manager. And that that's that's the end of that. Wow, uh, that was uh, you summed it up uh, very nicely there. Everybody, pound that like button for that one. And remember, <laughs> uh, you watched last night's show. If you missed it, it's I just put it in the chat, dudes. All right, Tim. Uh, we a lot was just said. Do you have anything to add? Uh, to, to 
Uh, yeah, I think that um, by the two other Grayscale is just a perfect example of that. I mean, you look at the premiums these guys are paying and the amount of money that's going into Grayscale is insane. And the reason they're doing that is they trust it. Um, yes. And, and I think that really sums up the attitude of institutional investors, which is primarily Grayscale's market, um, very well. Mauricio? Yeah, I mean, you know, there's been a lot of talk in recent weeks about this is this is a professional investor rally. This is not a retail rally. And a lot of people are pointing to Google Trends and such to, to kind of back that up. Um, we looked at uh, futures data for uh, regulated and unregulated uh, futures venues. Uh, when you look at the aggregate volume of, of interest in futures over 2019 to today, so over the last 12 months, the aggregate volume increase has been of 100 and some percent, 106%, I believe. If you look at CME and backed, uh, like if you zoom into those two, uh, CME is up like 7x over the same period. Uh, back is up 17x over the same period. So it, it is true that there is a disproportionate amount of participation and on the sort of fully regulated platforms. And I think what what is trying to happen is that when you're a large financial institution and you're operating in an asset, that asset shouldn't be or cannot be gray. It should either be black or should be white. It should either be not accessible by criminals or it can't be accessed by criminals. There shouldn't be an in-between. So I think what the United States is trying to do is that they're trying to essentially segment the Bitcoin network into allowed uses that, that we are okay with and unallowed uses that we're not okay with, i.e., the Iranian Central Bank, i.e. the Venezuelan Central Bank. So I think that is part of the intent here, but it's going to have, as many say, potentially unintended consequences. Right now, I, I live through, and I think all of us live through, we're aware of the scaling debate. And uh, that oh, yeah, people tried to split uh, Bitcoin based on uh, scaling. Bcash came out of it. There's some people that are talking about this uh KYC debate that's now emerging from this quote-unquote rumor uh, that perhaps the, the simpler uh, solution would be a, a, a KYC fork of, of Bitcoin. Uh, do, do, uh, do any of you see something like that occurring? I, I, I'll answer that um, because Michael Saylor answered it on my show when I asked him this question. And he basically said it's already happened. It's called Monero and it's called Zcash and it trades at about two hundredths of the price of Bitcoin. So forget it. Forget, forget you mean a fork of a, a, a privacy fork of Bitcoin is what you're referring to here. It, yeah, he, he's saying it's happened. The forks happened. You can buy these private private tokens if you like, uh, but the market's already priced their worth and they're nowhere near as much as the, the price of a Bitcoin. So it's an interesting, interesting insight. So, yeah, I mean, as far as as far as he's concerned, the forks already happened, and it's Monero and Zcash. All right. So, I, I mean, is he? This is like a, a, a third a third party question here. Is he comfortable with the, <laughs> the direction that Bitcoin's going in, uh, with government regulation making it more KYC? Again, you, you've the way. I asked him that question as well, and he said, "Well, you have to put yourself in my shoes. I'm the CEO of a of a company, uh, so for to to get that past the boardroom, there's got to be to to Mauricio's point, there's got to be a certain amount of 
of buy-in and understanding of the asset that you are, um, uh, you know, divesting into. So, no, for, for him, it was, here it is, this is what it is, we can move forward with this, and probably it's going to get more regulated in the future. Again, I think we all know that that is going to come. It's just that this article and this tweet thread was a real eye-opener. All right. So uh, I want to recommend everyone to uh, listen to that interview. Obviously, Daniel Prince is linked to below. Uh, you've got it out there. Uh, correct. It's it's all you, you can find it on your Twitter feed. Yeah. Good. Everyone check that one out. That There's been a lot of uh, Michael Saylor stuff. That's a very interesting one. So I, I want I want to conclude by just saying, uh, does it, I mean, does everyone think uh, it, I mean, what, what some of these tweets had in common is that no matter what happens, that Bitcoin will retain its. Uh, uh, gold 2.0 standard as a uh, as a store of value, even if the United States implements these uh, ridiculous uh, uh, regulations on it. Um, yeah, I think the main thing is that the regulations uh, will affect the companies that we use, but they can't just regulate Bitcoin globally, and and that's a huge difference, and that's why. The, the the time frames are very different. Like governments can crack down on, say, a crypto exchange very quickly by just saying it's illegal if you don't do this. Um, but in terms of actually controlling what people do with their Bitcoin when it's non-custodial, it, it's a much bigger challenge for them and requires kind of global coordinated governmental efforts. Uh, Mauricio, any final thoughts on this? No, I mean, I, I I put this in perspective just because I think, you know, if you ask a, a client in, you know, Venezuela or Colombia, like, do they care? Um, or, or, for example, like to give a better example, like, you know, Venezuela or Nicaragua, if they prefer that if they say, you know, would you prefer to have your dollars or your value in a Venezuela bank and KYC with your regime? Or would you prefer to do a full KYC on your Bitcoin hardware wallets or et cetera with your U.S. provider? They will say they'll do the KYC with the U.S. provider. They, they, they don't. They won't really have a big uh, opposition to that, given the alternative. So I think it, while it will impact the use case for Bitcoin in the United States, I think Bitcoin is materially changing way more lives outside of the United States, and that that will remain. All right, and uh, Daniel, do you have any uh, final thoughts before we move on to Plus Token? <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I do. I, I want to point out because you, you were sending me the links that we were going to talk to uh, talk about today and that that tweet thread by Brian was put out what like uh, a few days before this hit piece has been put out in the um, in the newspaper so does that come into play you know was this uh, kind of a coordinated PR stunt I Tim what, what, what do you think I doubt it uh, I I would be very surprised like sure coincidental timing but yeah i i just they're just so, so unrelated things uh, i i don't think one's really going to have an effect on the other mauricio you're smiling there do you <laughs> no it's a, it's an interesting it's an interesting way to view it right because you know there's there's an impending hit piece coming um you know we could talk about that hit piece after but the the article or the the writer has not doesn't really have the most accurate track record, at least in crypto reporting, based on what I've read in the past. 
So it, it is an interesting dynamic going into this announcement. Having said that, to Tim's, to Tim's point, I think they are they have so radically different implications on the two of them that it, it just I think I, I would I would probably be on the side of just coincidental timing. Uh, I, I'm, I have a take on this as I actually brought it up on my show when th this first came out, or I talked about it last night. Um, I, I think um, he he did mention it now to uh, help uh, distract people from from it a little bit. Uh, I mean, he, he could have waited until afterwards. I mean, I, I, I don't know. I, I think it's a little bit more than a coincidence. They're not related, but I mean, he's a businessman. Um, he, I think he wants to position himself before he gets ripped to shreds by the New York Times as a defender of the of the Bitcoin people. You know, I'm I'm against what the government is doing here. So, you know, uh, like me and uh, when the bad article comes up, maybe you'll be more prone to believe my side of the story. So I, I, I think he might be using it. Uh, so that that is a that, that's a very interesting observation on your part, uh, Daniel Prince. We'll, we'll, we will get to that article. I, I, I've given everybody a little preview. We're going to talk about the New York Times uh, in, in, the, in the second half hour here. Wanna, Daniel, um, I mean, excuse me, Tim's got to get out of here pretty soon. And I want to bring up uh, a topic right now that he could talk about uh, real quick. And that is what is this, this China FUD is back in the air again. I, every time I think people aren't going to panic about China anymore. They got to come up with a new China story that might be an old China story. We knew there was a company or an entity called Plus Token that was ripping people off. It was a scam and it acquired a lot of Bitcoin and Ethereum. And uh, now there's an article that says the government of China has that Bitcoin and Ethereum and others cryptos. But then some people are saying they already dumped it. So, uh, Tim, do, do you know what's going on here? Um. Uh, I don't know 100% uh, about it, but I believe that the main news that's come out today is that we have a specific breakdown of the assets that were seized. I think that's what we know today, and I think um, it's quite interesting. I mean, the, I mean, they now the Chinese government now has six billion Dogecoin, which I think is amazing. <laughs> I mean, that's, I think that's five. Was it five percent? Wait, I got it here. Hang on, I got it here somewhere. Uh, yeah, yeah, keep going. I, I'll find. No, it's uh, Doge. Yeah, six billion Doge, baby. Six billion Doge for China. Maybe if they didn't dump it yet. You see, that's the question. But uh, continue. So, like, you wouldn't be surprised if you're just scrolling Reddit and you see the Chinese government making like one Doge equals one Doge jokes. <laughs> just like they're just getting involved on it. Um, but yeah, so I, I think. It seems to be that we just have the most detailed breakdown of everything that they've seized from the Plus Token scandal um, in in a kind of detailed court filing. Um, I think I think that's that's essentially what we take out of out of the news today. Yeah. It, well, but, but the, what, what people are worried about is like if they if they really have one hundred ninety four thousand seven hundred seventy five Bitcoin, did they already dump it? because then it would already affected the market or are they going to dump it eventually or, or, or is the Chinese government going to become a big holder of Bitcoin? So I, I, I pose that question to the, uh, to, to, well, Tim, I don't know if, if you have anything more to say about it, but uh, I don't know. I'm just thinking that none of them are particularly great uh, options. Um, <laughs> yeah. But I, well, I think the, it's probably the, the, quite difficult already, to know uh, until the government actually like says, this is what we've done. We sold this much, or we're holding on to this much, or whatever. 
Well, I mean, I, if the government of China says they did it, I'm not going to believe it. But uh, I mean, I, I think the, I think the best scenario and the one that Twitter is uh, some of the OGs on Twitter are saying is that, yeah, they already this is just an announcement of what they had. They already dumped all their Bitcoin because they, I, I, we do. We can't remember a time when there was a Bitcoin price was dump, dumping and people are like, well, the, 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 it, it's, the scammers are selling their Bitcoin now. But maybe it was the Chinese government. I, I don't know. Uh, Mauricio, do you have a take on this? Um, I think, you know, I, I read the news, I saw the breakdown, I, I, I thought it was fascinating to, to see how just how much like the sheer volume of this scam uh, was was impressive, just, just how much money they were able to do people out of. Um, I think, you know, there's there's a there's a camp that thinks that the the and I, even I had this passing thought where I'm like, you know, would the Chinese government actually hold this on Treasury at the central bank level? Uh, and and I think that's that's a bit of a stretch still today. Like it, it still takes you know years and many conversations on corporate boards to to even get them to pass. And you know, Bitcoin's at a market cap right now where some corporate some corporates in the U.S. could like take up the entire market cap on their cash balance. So I think as a sovereign sort of central bank asset, like sure, the Iranian central bank and the Venezuelan central bank might dabble in it because they have very little other choices, but sort of a, a robust central bank is still a bit, a bit far away, I think, from considering holding these. So my view would be that there will be some sort of liquidation or, or transition process. I'm not sure if it's already happened. Uh, I, I wouldn't have the data to kind of know that, but either it already happened or is on the way there. All right, Daniel Prince, your, your take on this. Yeah, um, the first thing, I mean, if, if it is true, like the, the first thing they should do is try and return it to the rightful owners of the people that have been scammed. But are they going to do that? Like, I mean, it's just, how is that not what they're releasing? Right? <laughs> Who's in charge of their PR? Like, <laughs> We're going to find and return this and uh, the criminals will go to jail. But no, what they're saying is we're going to put it straight in our national treasury. You're like, guys, like, really? So... Now, it makes me think, yes, of course, no one's going to believe what they say, but does this kick off some kind of game theory at the, the governmental level? Because all the other countries are going to be looking at this, right, very, very closely. And we have how many, how many of uh, Ulbricht's coins were seized recently uh, in the U.S.? So we have potentially two governments holding huge amounts of bitcoin staring at each other across the fence like you go you sell yours no no we'll keep ours like it's this is the game theory that is that bitcoin we've all known in the end would, would play out at a, at a state level um interesting one to watch could be complete and total fud uh, who knows yeah, well, perhaps uh, China is now valuing their wealth in Dogecoin. They're never going to let go of that precious six billion Dogecoin. But I will say, I mean, the United States and Australia have set the precedent. Uh, they they've already auctioned off all of their confiscated Bitcoin in the past. So I I don't I don't see the United States changing its tune any soon anytime soon. But China, I don't, they're not going to necessarily replicate that. Or, or you never know what's going on over there. So it, it will be it will be interesting to watch. We may never. We may never know the truth. I just, I still find it fascinating that a story like this can come out and uh, people sell the news. I mean, the price did drop. I think it had a little bit to do with that uh, today, but but who knows? Anyway, I know, Tim, you got to get out of here uh, pr pretty darn soon. Uh, do you have any conclusionary uh, things you want to say? Anything about Decrypt? I, I really love what, what they're doing over there. It's a great publication. Uh, if, if you could tell us anything about it uh, or any other news you wanted to say. 
Tim, you, you there? I think we might have lost him. Wait. Oh, he got out. Uh, he had the jet right, like, exactly at a half hour. Let me, let me see. Oh, no, he's back. He's back. I'm back. Hey, guys. All right. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> I thought you jetted out all of a sudden. Did you hear my question? Or no, no, no. my internet completely dropped off. I haven't been on here for about what a minute or two, two minutes. Yeah, yeah. You missed. I just my whole. I just addressed you like saying that you you're you're going to have to go soon because it's at the half hour mark. And uh, that I really love what uh, Decrypt is doing. If you you can tell us anything about Decrypt, or if there any stories you want to talk about before you go, uh, the, the floor is yours. Was I just motionless? Yeah. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Okay, I assumed I dropped off, so it was obvious. Yeah, I tried messaging you, but my phone was on Wi-Fi, so it also didn't didn't send it. Um, yeah, I mean, so Decrypt, we're what a two-year-old crypto news organization. Uh, we have an app, uh, which is really cool. Um, recommend everyone download it. Uh, we're gonna also try and do some pretty cool crypto stuff. So we're integrating um, crypto into our app, so you can earn tokens while you read that kind of thing. Um, which is really cool. Um, yeah, we also have a podcast, the Decrypt Daily, um, which, uh, yeah, it's growing. Um, yeah, we're just trying to live with the right news every day. Yeah, I, I again, I, I like it. I, I enjoy it a lot more than uh, Cointelegraph and uh, Coindesk. You guys are, uh, you, you do it a little differently over there. It's it's not a bunch of uh, clickbait and uh well, everyone can judge for themselves. Check it out, but you're doing well. Any any other news stories or anything you want to share before you get out of here, or do you still got to get out of here? Uh, yeah, I got to go. Um, nothing particularly particular has come up. It's been a very quiet day with Thanksgiving and everything. There's been very little news, news. Okay. Um, yeah, but uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, keep up the good work, Tim. Thank, thank you uh, for making your debut on the show today, and hopefully you will be back. All right. All right, we'll move on to the next topic here. And, uh, why not go to the uh, the Venezuela story? Because we got a man who knows Venezuela, and that is Mauricio. Oh, uh, and uh, it's it's we, we actually discussed this the last time. It's kind of revolutionary, an interesting uh, use case for uh, stable coins and governments uh, trying to mess with other governments through uh, cryptocurrency. So I'll let you explain what's going on with uh, USDC or whatever, whatever stable coin the United States is trying to get over to Juan Guaido and whatnot. Yeah, so maybe I'll, I'll, I'll set the sort of backdrop for maybe a few people that may not be familiar exactly with what's happening. So Venezuelans uh, have been in a tight spot for a, for a very long time. They have a dictator there, Nicolas Maduro, that is basically... Uh, decimated all democratic institutions and left no no chance of a democratic election. Now, the the U.S. government and the international community do not recognize Maduro's dictator regime as the sovereign government of Venezuela. They recognize the last democratically elected uh, body in the country, which is the National Assembly, which is presided by this gentleman, Juan Guaido who uh, has assumed the role of interim president of Venezuela to the international democratic community. So currently there are two presidents of Venezuela, one that the worldwide democracy accepts and a dictator that has the guns internally and basically is able to block the bridges uh, and, and basically runs the show internally. Uh, and he's a, he's a thug. So in essence, the uh, United States government has seized funds from this thug. 
right? And unlike the Chinese authorities, they are actually looking to give the money back to Venezuela. Uh, but obviously, they don't want to give it back to the dictator. They want to give it back to the democratically elected president that they recognize. So there's a challenge for this. Why? Because the thug still runs the local banks. And the thug still controls all the guns and the bridges. So if you look at for, uh, if you look at like foreign policy tools that governments have, the United States had put in sanctions, which essentially block the Venezuelan government from accessing financing and using the international financial system. Sanctions are defensive. They are meant to prevent the guys from stop growing. They are not meant for you to try to push your agenda on this other place, right? So up until now, all the all the things that the foreign policy or international community could do were defensive. We could not send money in because they would block the banking system. We could not send physical aid in because they literally block the bridges. So there was no way to send funds into the country until crypto P2P rails. So why is this a game changer? Because the United, the Venezuelan dictator can prevent the United States government from sending dollars directly into the Venezuelan banking system. They have the means to do that. What they don't have the means to do is stop internal crypto transactions at P2P. Why is that? Because internally, when I use local Bitcoin and I sell some Bitcoin to another Venezuelan, that shows up in the internal financial system as a one-way bank transfer that somebody could have sent me to pay for rent, pay for food, pay for whatever. So what is the Venezuela or what is the US government doing? It has basically enlisted AirTM, which is a company that has over half a million Venezuelans and a P2P exchange in the, in the country that is working. And it has talked to USDC, the you know Circles entity, to say we will give you the 18,000 18 million dollars that we have seized from Maduro. We will send it to your Circle account. You will use those dollars to mint USDC. And you now are able to send those USDC to pre-screen Venezuelans using RTM's P2P rails. Um, that is game-changing in many, many ways. One, it is the first time Venezuelans have actually been able to receive aid from a foreign country and actually make use of it. And secondly, it is the first time we've seen the United States government at least signal that they are okay with non-sanctioned Venezuelans properly screen holding and transacting in usdc so this opens the door to create a circular dollar economy within venezuela that is outside the purview of the regime i know i've talked for a bit but i have to say what the regime is doing basically as a result of this move what i'm most excited about is what they're actually having to do <laughs> because in the past they would announce these things these efforts out of the united states and the regime was just like oh whatever it's not going to work this time around, it's different. This time around, the week the announcement was made, the regime basically rolled out a policy to allow Venezuelans to bank in dollars locally. This is ludicrous. Nobody's going to do this. But they understand what's coming. Um, and then a week after, basically after they said this, they've switched the narrative to when prior they had said that they were going to allow everyone to bank in dollars and transfer things in dollars internally. The new law says that they are going to tax all value transfers internally. And if they are, if, if value is transferred in a token or a currency not in the Bolivar, 
it will have to pay the highest tax rate in the country. So by switching the narrative from dollars to value, they have opened, they have basically said, it's not dollars, it can be any type of dollar form, or it can be even Bitcoin, it can be any form of value. So they're essentially, they're, they're trying to put themselves in a position where they can always have purview on these transactions. But basically, if the United States and, and AirTMs and all of our communities' efforts are successful, we will be boxing them out out of their own economy and dollarizing Venezuela's economy outside of the government's purview, if that makes sense. So there's a bit of a fight. They want to dollarize it with their control. The world wants to dollarize it and box them out of any control. This is a, a great use case uh, for uh, stable coins now, isn't it? Uh, uh, very, very creative there. And uh, I'm, I'm glad to see this uh, real world experiment going on. Uh, and uh, thank you for that very full uh, explanation of the situation. Now, uh, uh, Daniel Prince, do you have any questions or anything to add to that? Uh, only that uh, one is great to meet you Maurizio and um yeah I think I'll probably speak on behalf of the community that you know we're watching what's going on there and we wish you guys all the best um so news any any news that comes out of Venezuela of this of this kind is um you know interesting to watch and to follow and you know we, we're all rooting for uh for you guys and you know big love man thank you Daniel. I appreciate it it's a real pleasure to meet you as well you know, I, I, I got to say, I, I'm deaf. I love when I have you on the show. You can tell us good news like this. Because there, there, you say we're we're all rooting for you guys. There are maniacs out there that believe this is a, some huge, big uh, United States conspiracy to uh, get in uh, Guaido and it's to, to take oil and just all of this. Uh, you're just forgetting the suffering of the like pretending like the suffering on the streets isn't really going on. That the guy really isn't a thug. So I love the words that you use to describe Maduro. And, and the situation there. So uh, they're, they're an absolute ruthless tug. Like, I've, did you see the news that they basically closed a a food bank because they were taking dollars from an international group and they were essentially feeding kids, but the food wasn't coming from the regime and they shut it down. They took the they took one meal a day from twenty five thousand kids. That's <laughs> very interesting. Uh, what they do down there. Now, I want to I want to say, do you have any uh? Anything else to add to this story? Uh, how do you see it progressing? Could, could this uh, could this help take down the government? Could crypto take down a government? Um, you know, I've I've been there, and everything goes well until they pull out the guns, right? Like eventually, when things get big enough, guns come out, and your options get reduced to nothing. Uh, so, I, I think. As much as I love everything that's happening, it's important to understand, like to, to Daniel's point, when somebody said, you know, can the government do this? Can the government do X? Can the government do Y? The answer is always yes. They have unlimited resources, unlimited guns, and they will get their say because the majority of the country pick them. Um, and so, you know, I get excited. Of course I get excited, but I, I don't think for a second that the government is going to sit there and we're going to dollarize the economy outside their purview and they're just going to walk away. Like these guys have to get, and I, I'm sorry to say this, this might come harsh, but these guys aren't going to go out of there with an election. They're not going to go out of there the nice way. Uh, they will kill whoever they have to kill. They will bring the guns out, however many guns they have to bring. They have done it. They will do it again. Uh, so I get excited, but I'm still trying to pull my family out 24-7. So, uh, you know, 
unfortunately, that's kind of how I see it. And I know it's not the most positive, upbeat thing to say, uh, but but I think it's 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 how I see it. Well, uh, this this United States administration, uh, the outgoing one, uh, didn't uh, send any uh, any uh, any American presence down there, should we say? Perhaps the next one will uh, will do so. You never know. I do want one final question. Do you, do you see this uh, USD uh, uh, crypto uh, stablecoin battle being implemented in, in other countries? Maybe maybe the United States will try this in I- Iran or something like that. I think it's a model that's being tested. Uh, and I think it, if it works, it opens a, a can of worms for offensive foreign policy with the dollar being the weapon. <laughs> so, so oh boy, that uh, they will definitely love if they can use this. What a, what a world we're living in here. All right, pound that like button. We will move on to the big gossip story here. <laughs> and that is the New York Times article is actually online right now about Coinbase. It is called Tokenized. Inside Black Workers Struggle at the King of Crypto Startups. <laughs> oh, oh, my. And here's the, under Brian Armstrong's picture. It says, Brian Armstrong, Coinbase's chief executive. In September, he published a public blog post telling employees to leave concerns for issues like racial justice at the door. That little caption, I think, explains why the New York Times is even writing this article and, and, and doing this hit piece. Now, it's it's linked to below. Uh, if you've read a certain amount of New York Times articles already, you can't see it. It's kind of behind the paywall. So I don't know if the guests have, have read it uh, yet or not. But we'll start with Daniel Prince. Uh, what, what's Because you brought it up beforehand that he, he mm. might have br- brought up uh, one subject to deflect from this. What do, you, what do you think about this hit piece? What's it going to do for Bitcoin? It's going to come out in print on Sunday. So that'll be the, the big day that people are talking about it, I assume. Right. Uh, yeah, I did read it. Uh, thanks for sending the link. Uh, I don't know. Like, uh, of course, it's it's a, a, a very negative view on somebody within the space that is always, well, certainly recently been viewed quite negatively uh, amongst the uh, the bitcoin hodlers and maxis who runs a company that seems to go down every time the price is moving quickly in one direction or another uh it's just more fuel on the fire for the um for the people that that don't like him or his company i can't speak to the truth of it who knows like who knows unless you are those people inside and, and have been uh, experiencing those those exact situations um so yeah i i don't think i could really say too much more on that what do you think about his attempt to warn everybody about it before it came out because it this is it, on thursday uh, again there was a blog post saying that the new york times is about to do a hit piece it isn't true did you think that was a good move there to preempt it and uh, <laughs> i suppose so um you know as a as a ceo of a company you've got to if you have the information that something like this is coming out then you've got to prep your your employees for it i, I guess that's a, that would be expected of any ceo uh, as a professional courtesy thing to do um but again you know it, it, unless you are in those four walls and have seen what's going on and can attest to some of the stories in that article then it's down to the people of Coinbase to to vote with their feet if, if this is if this is true and this is against all of their beliefs, or 
they see it as a hit piece. I mean, it's uh, so it's I, gonna, you summarized it as negative. Um, I, I have not read the whole thing yet. I've read parts of it. Uh, could you give like any, any highlights you want? Anything that was like really stuck out in your mind or anything? It, it's just about um, the, the company is, you know, it, it's a racial company. Um, people there have been uh, felt very victimized and they have uh, three or four accounts from people that have left the company and the reasons why they left the company. So like all these things, there's no smoke without fire, but unless you're actually within the confines of that company and see with your own eyes and hear with your own ears, it's it's going to make the rounds on Twitter. People are going to comment on it, obviously. Uh, it's going to be bad publicity for Coinbase. Then a few days after, it will probably be forgotten about unless everybody gets up and leaves the company, right? It's... Um, I I don't know. It's and it comes back like did he do that tweet thread as well? Was that part of you know getting ahead of it? And I know you you brought um you, you put your thoughts on that earlier and last night you were talking about it in the show. Again, that could be another reason uh he did that that tweet thread. Yes. Yes. Uh all right, let's uh Mauricio, your your thoughts on this this uh woke article from the New York Times. Yeah, I mean, similar to what Daniel said, uh, I you know, uh, the relationship or the exchanges that that I've had with anyone at Coinbase have have been great. I think they, they are a company that has done a tremendous amount of of uh, you know, they've done a lot of good for the space, particularly in adoption. Um, I don't know, uh, you know, it's very hard for any one of us to say what's going on in those four walls. Uh, so it would be very difficult to say, hey, you know, how valid is it's the content of the article versus how not how may, how, how may not. Um, what I can say is having read some of the previous pieces about particularly Venezuela uh, from this author, um, his piece, The Coder and the Dictator, which he put out, uh, I believe a year ago now, was uh, if you ask anybody anybody in the Venezuelan community, it was it was not at all uh, how it actually happened. Um, the, this seemed more like a PR move from the the coder himself, and uh, it was it was very to me at the time when I read it. Uh, the fact that you could have so much misinformation published by the New York Times blew me away. Uh, and and despite comments from the community directly to the author, there was no responses. Uh, no, no sort of, you know, attempt to correct or or even address the community that was challenging all the stuff that was cited in the article. So I, I, um, I'm not. I don't want to say here that that some of the stuff that's in the article may not be true. Like again, I don't know. Uh, what I do know is that I have questioned in the past this reporter's research. So. Yeah, there, there are a few people who are not big fans of this reporter when it comes to uh, when it comes to a cryptocurrency. So very, very good point you make there. OK, let's uh, let's let's get away from that crypto noise and move to something that was uh, noisy last summer. But it's, uh, coming back again, Libra, uh, apparently the Libra is going to launch in January 2021 as a U.S. dollar stable coin. I, I'm excited about it. I, I think compete, don't complain. Let them have, let them print their own money. I have no problem. The last time, uh, when they made their initial announcement, everybody uh, thought it was great for Bitcoin. Uh, so, uh, Daniel Prince, uh, what, what's your take on uh, is is Libra going to finally do it in the beginning of 2021? Is it going to 
is it going to rock the world or is it just going to go in with the whimper there? I really don't know. And I, I, I hope it's just like they've got what a billion people on the, on, on Facebook. Does this legitimize Bitcoin even further that, you know, companies like this are trying to, you know, come up with their own digital token and hopefully if, I mean, if we, if we do our jobs correctly in the Bitcoin space and more and more people start looking at crypto assets and start looking online and start looking around for podcasts and start looking for articles and books hopefully we're doing enough with shows like this and with um you know positive articles and positive uh, books and things like that that when people are touched by this hmm, should i start learning about crypto assets and digital currencies and things like that that they will look at bitcoin and, and stick to bitcoin uh, but that said We've we, we've seen what happens in the past when these things come out and and people get a little bit wowed by it and go crazy for it, um, but I, you know and again like the Libra project what what is the what is the ultimate goal of it uh, are they trying to make um like a, their own money within Facebook I, I really haven't looked into the project that deeply and I I don't is it just another altcoin. I think they would like it to be that way, but the, the, so far the government's given them a pretty hard time and just uh, they made it a pretty boring uh, stable coin that will just live within Facebook. And uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see how it develops o over time. I, I, I'm of the mind that any if a, if a country can create its own uh, Fed coin, uh, so should uh, uh, Facebook should be able to do something just like a, 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 what the United States will eventually do or, or what China is doing over there. Uh, Mauricio, do you have a, 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 an opinion on uh, Facebook uh, finally getting uh, their act together and per perhaps coming out with the product in uh, 2021? Yeah, like, uh, you know, first off, I, I want to say I'm a big fan of the Libra project. Uh, I think it can do a lot of work, a lot of good to the world if, if you understand the impact that it can have. And I'll explain why I feel that way. Um, when you are in an environment like Venezuela, and you have a populist regime that is doing crazy things with the currency and deliberately pushing you down a cliff. Uh, in the meantime, they're telling you that it's the evil empires that are just playing with your, your currency and the bad corporate speculators internally that are doing these bad things to you, but to listen to Papa government because we got your back uh, and come collect your food box. And so that is very powerful when you have very little education. Um, and what they are very successful at doing is saying, you know, the dollar is rising inflation, right? Which, which is the barometer for your screwing up as a government. Um, and they say, oh, the dollar's not going up because nothing we're doing. It's the evil speculators that just want all of your dollars and they just want to price higher. They want to make your goods more expensive. Okay. So they have a very, because they control the media, because they control social media, because they control everything, they have a way of controlling that narrative, Right. What I see in Libra is a bit of a Trojan horse, right? Because governments already accepted Facebook. Facebook is already a part of people's day-to-day -day lives, right? When Facebook tells people, hey, do you know you can start getting paid for your posts in dollars using this Libra thing? And hey, do you know you can pay your neighbor if you want for that tomato that you're going to get from her instead of actually going to the store? 
Wouldn't that be just much easier? And people are going to say, oh, this is awesome. Like I can be a paid content maker and I can all, like, and I no longer have to have a dollar account in Wells Fargo. I can actually get a dollar from Billy in Thailand that liked my video and pay it to Maria to get my tomato. This is phenomenal, right? How is the government going to turn around and say, Maria is a criminal because she just won your dollar? Or Billy in Thailand is a criminal because he wants to tip you in dollars. They, they, they immediately lose the dollar is for bad guys narrative. Like the, all of a sudden, when dollars are on Facebook, dollars are for everybody. And if a, once, not if, once a person receives a dollar in Venezuela, is able to hold it and spend it, that's the end of that person's Bolivar life. I mean, that is a great, I, I like that take a lot. I, I haven't heard that uh, such a positive take on uh, Facebook Libra yet. And we've got a question for you from the audience. Uh, uh, do you think uh, if Libra launches, uh, is it a tether killer? I think there's going to be a bit of a face-off between KYC and no KYC everything in crypto. Uh, so I think tether might end up, I think tether may be too big already to not ever be regulated. I think eventually they will come to the light. Uh, that they have to kind of come to talk to regulators. Uh, but I do think that there's going to be an interesting, you know, there will always be demand for non-KYC things. There will forever be. There, that, that's, a, that's a demand in the market that will be very hard to satisfy. And there will always be huge opportunity in following regulation and, and doing things through the right path. So I don't think it's, it's, a, it's a tether killer. I, I do think that there will be, you know, some stable coins will get to scale and it will be very much, very hard for others to compete. But I do see a, a world where there is like some, somewhat of a plurality of stable coins. All right. Uh, you got to get out of here in four minutes, Mauricio, and we're going to end the show pretty soon. But uh, I might go over a little bit uh, than four minutes. So I'll let you do your conclusionary uh, remarks here. Anything you have to add? Uh, we're, and just to... I didn't. I didn't get to ask anyone about the three thousand dollar drop because to me it's just like it's so common in uh, in Bitcoin. It's, it's nothing to me. But maybe you had something to say about that too before you go. So the floor is yours. No, thank you. Appreciate it. Um, nothing. I guess you know for those who don't know our company, check out Ledin.io. We pay. We have savings accounts for USDC and Bitcoin. Um, so we have loans for people that don't want to sell their Bitcoin or loans for people that want to buy more Bitcoin. Um, as far as the price action example, I mean, I see it's a sort of like it's it's a combination of a few things. One, you know, we we've been quite overstretched. We, we we're up seventy three percent in forty nine days, so I think it's just a, a natural breather. Uh, I don't. I think the outage for AWS that took down half the internet impacted uh, how people felt about you know their ability to. Uh, you know, access the internet or, or etc. So that might have made people feel a little bit nervous. And then on top of that, you had the the news out of CoinDesk, or sorry, the, the news out of Coinbase, uh, that tweet and the potential faft roof. So I think it's a bit of a knee jerk. And frankly, I think this is very healthy going into Thanksgiving because the other option was blow off top and it would have been probably a worse correction, at least in, in my view. All righty. You are linked to below. Check out Ledin. Thank you much. Uh, for being on, you you can stick around until the end if, if you can, but I bet you got to go because you got that uh, restriction now. Uh, D Daniel Prince, how about you in terms of uh, the the price today, or if you had any more comments on anything that we've uh, said since the last time you spoke? Uh, yeah, price wise, um, there's some nice cheap 
tasty sats on sale let's go you know make sure everybody is um fiat cost averaging uh rather than fomoing in and and you know just try and set it and forget it uh you find your local dispensary uh whatever country you're in wherever you can find um a bitcoin only um auto buy or dca service fda excuse me fiat average and um yeah honey badger doesn't care price goes up price goes down you know let's just let's go it's um that there are so many theories none of them are ever going to be correct um you know it's um I think we're probably all a little bit immune to these three thousand dollars swings, anyway, aren't we? By this stage, yes, I am. <laughs> volatility, volatility is your friend. At the end of the day, uh, you know, number go down very quickly. Um, get some stats, uh, and you you pick them up nice and cheap. Number go up very quickly. Everybody's happy and making great memes on Twitter. All right. Any any news about the podcast? Upcoming guest? Anything you want to pr uh, promote? Uh, yeah, so Once Bitten is the name of the podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Uh, got some uh, interesting – I think, it, yeah, my, my next episode is a little different. I, I speak with a lady called Angela out of the UK. She's not on Twitter. She's not on any social media. Uh, she's a boomer, and she's stacking sats. And I just wanted to you know, get her story and in, in what brought her into Bitcoin and the rabbit hole story and um, how – as a boomer what were her barriers to entry and you know it's um it's it's an interesting one um but uh, yeah i'll have preston pish back uh back in middle of december as well so looking forward to having him on dude you're, you're a unique beast bringing on a boomer like that i think that's an excellent topic uh, because i do have <laughs> i have boomers that come to me that they that are kind of quiet. They're like, why does everybody hate us in the space? You know, we're, we're just, you know, trying to do our thing. I, they got a great perspective. They are welcome here to everyone. You can't stop boomers from being here. They're, you know, there's there's memes on, on Twitter, okay, boomer, or whatever it is. They're welcome here. Well, come on, man. They got their say. They can buy it too. It helps us all. So uh, great stuff on your part. Thank you, panel, for being on. I know it's the, half the panel, most of the panel is gone now. You stuck <laughs> up to the end, so that's awesome. Thank you very much. They're all linked to below, okay, everybody? So, uh, yes, $3,000 drops in less than 24 hours. Get used to it, people. Long for the days in the future when we have those $10,000 drops, baby. It's, it's going to be fun, the roller coaster. This is only the beginning, as I say, only the beginning. So thank you, guest. Shabbat shalom, everybody. I'm Adam Meister, the Bitcoin Meister, the Disrupt Meister. We do this show every freaking Friday. So pound that like button, people. Retweet it on Twitter. Follow me there at T-E-C-H-B-A-L-T. Thank you, people who are watching live. See you guys tomorrow, and then see some of you next Friday. We do a new show here every day, but again, this week at Bitcoin every Friday. Bye-bye, everyone. Thank you. See ya.